Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome back to another episode of Blitzcast. This is your host, Brendan Bolin, and of course, I'm joined alongside my man, Ed Hunt. How you doing today, brother? Dude, I'm excited, man. I'm t- excited for football season already. I mean, you know, we're going to be starting college soon. And, uh, you know, obviously there's, uh, you know, preseason football. So, I mean, I mean, this is this is an exciting time of year. I, I love this because I almost look at the preseason. I don't know if most people look at it this way, but I feel like the game is like to make the team, right? Like it's like a game of like there's 90 of us and it's like survivor to make the 53. <laughs> and like Hard Knocks really captures that, you know what I'm saying, in the preseason. And, uh, and, and I love that because, um, you know, maybe the average fan, you know, they, you know, they may be a fan of like a team like the Jets, right? And they watch the preseason and it's just a few dumb games. None of them matter, you know, but like if you, fans like us, we kind of understand like, you know, this guy's making the roster. We're going to be strong here. We're going to have a depth piece here, you know, and, and really, I mean, it, it's hard to explain to a non-football fan, but like 53 is like a tight amount Mm -hmm. of players to dress and like i and you know you got to have seven inactives and i think they they got a little bit more lenient with that where you can lift two uh you know practice squad players and you can make them inactives and so forth and but i mean really it's i mean 53 55 guys that's 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 tight you know what i mean to play an nfl football game i mean you really like i mean in college at least like you know if your kicker gets hurt or if your kicker's cold you know what i mean you bring in a new guy right like and it's just started now that you can even just have another, you know, kicker on your practice squad who even practices with you. I mean, back back when we were kids, it was like, you know, if you were if you were the backup kicker, it meant you, meant you were selling insurance, right? <laughs> right. You were the backup punter. You were selling insurance, and then, uh, you know, when when you know if you got that call, you came back and punted. You know what I mean? And you kind of found a football a football field that no one you know abandoned, and you went down and punted you know, by yourself, right? Or you're right. with your, your best friend, right? Like it just, it just, it's just, it's just different now. I mean, and, and I'm all for expanded rosters and that's my, that's my ploy for the, uh, you know, NFL PA, but, um, yeah. And anyway, <laughs> rant over. No, I feel yeah. The, the preseason is like a bunch of mini games within the game, you know? And like you yeah. said, for fans like us, and you really follow these players, you, you kind of, start to learn who they are as people too if you really follow it and you start to root for these guys and you're you know watching these games you're like come on dude we got a ball out I would love to see you make the roster and you know like you said for fans like us it's just a little bit deeper than just preseason you know we we understand that people are playing for for their lives pretty much out there so uh preseason football it's still football and like you said college is right around the corner as well Ed but we have to wait a couple of weeks for the regular season and for college football, so these podcasts will help ease the pain just a little bit. And Ed, you and I have been talking a lot about George Pickens and how crazy that Steelers wide receiving core. Oh, sorry, I'm actually gonna cut this out. I'll uh, I forgot we were gonna start with Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Excuse Watson. me. Yep. But Ed, as of this week, we got news on the Deshaun Watson update. Originally, he was suspended for six games, but the NFL was not a fan of that call. And they went back, and they had a, they had hired a new person to investigate the uh, the Deshaun Watson situation, and they decided that an 11 game suspension was the fair call. Now, Ed, I don't know about you, 
but 11 games. It just seems kind of like a strange number to me. Why not do 10? Why not do 12? I mean, heck, if you're going that far, why not do a whole season? You know who the Cleveland Browns play in Week 12 after that 11-game suspension is lifted? They play the exactly the Houston Texans. You can't make this stuff up, man. It's it's a storybook, and in stuff like this is what makes me love football because it's just unbelievable. The chances of this happening are one in a million. So, Ed, what are your thoughts on Deshaun Watson's suspension being up to 11 games? How does this uh, excuse me? How does this affect the NFL? How does this affect the Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Watson? No, Ed, Ed, I'm very glad you brought it up that way because uh, I didn't I didn't really think about it in the contract sense. And Deshaun Watson and his uh, legal team in NFLPA already announced that if they were to call that year-long suspension, which, like you were saying, is, is likely what the NFL wanted. And you know, honestly, it makes sense. But they didn't want to have to go through the whole process of being sued throughout this. And they also knew that six games was was pretty much a slap on the wrist. So I agree with you. That's that's a great way to meet in the middle and still, you know, have Deshaun Watson in in his, you know, kind of in his personal life have to face the consequences on missing out on a lot of money and not being in the best situation con- uh, with his contract. So uh, when you break it down that way, I, I actually, I think that was very smart on the NFL. And then, you know, even then, even even if 12 games was the call, I could have seen Deshaun Watson and NFLPA fighting that call. So 11 games, although it sounds weird, and it is pretty weird that it is just right around the Texans time or the Texans game. Um, it, it just it makes sense, though. It makes sense when you look at it from that perspective. And I don't know, Ed, with with Deshaun Watson coming back in week 11, do you think the Browns in a loaded AFC powerhouse of a conference this year can sneak into a wild card i I just you know jacoby Brissett is is a number two and he's a good number two i mean he's he's you know definitely in like the uh you know the upper quartile of of uh (laughs) backup quarterbacks in the league and i and i do believe that but i just I, i don't think there's a team in the nfl that can go 11 weeks with their number two quarterback and i mean he is their number two quarterback and, and 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 even make the playoffs right like mm-hmm. it's it's going to be heroic now take out what division they're in it's going to be heroic i mean it'll be the story of all stories if deshaun watson comes and wins it and and then and then and then is, i mean and even if deshaun watson comes and wins like i mean think about as a as a as a from from a pr standpoint how angry fans will be <laughs> to see deshaun watson win like it this would. Is how I see it. This is how I see it. Like from Jimmy Haslam, I understand that like Jimmy Haslam, uh, you know, wanted wanted to give him a second chance, but what he did was pretty bad. And I think by bringing in Deshaun Watson, you kind of poisoned the good name of the Cleveland Browns, right? Like I I, I understand they brought Kareem Hunt in, I, not good either. You know what I'm saying? Like not good either. But like, I just I just feel like you know like. The Cleveland Browns brand is that lovable loser, right? That mm-hmm. loyal, lovable loser, right? And then you kind of bring in this guy who you just, ugh, you know what I mean? You just don't like him anymore. You know what I mean? You loved him before you knew who he was, and now you know who he is, and it's ugly. You know what I mean? And actually, you know who the victim is and all this is the Cleveland Brown fans. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it really is. I mean, it's just like, 
it just is. It, it, and it's like, you know, you could have gone with Baker Mayfield. You could have gone with your hero. I mean, imagine if Cleveland won with him. I mean, I, I just, you know, you, you, I mean, next year they could, I mean, they, you know, if they tanked with Baker Mayfield, at least they could come back next year and draft one of those six good quarterbacks that are in this draft class. I just, I don't like the move. You know what I mean? I just don't like, uh, to be honest with you, I, I, w- I would have rather see, you know, Deshaun Watson just get blackballed from the league. No, I, I I absolutely see where you're coming from. And the Browns were the lovable loser. I mean, I didn't... I t- anytime somebody asked me who I rooted for, and I told them the Browns, it was it was never like a, oh, God, it was, oh, I'm sorry, man, you guys will get there one day type of feel. But now it's like, when I tell people I'm a Browns fan, they, they don't care for us anymore. They don't want us to win anything anymore. And and I can't blame them with, with the situation that's been going on. And I just, for... I even feel like for Deshaun Watson to get accepted fully in the Browns community, you have to win a Super Bowl. Nothing short of it. And I, I think that's what the Browns are expecting out of this. And you can't, and you made a great point earlier on, Ed, that if the Browns were to even make the playoffs this year, that, that that's a hero ball. That's hero ball from, from Jacoby Brissett and Deshaun Watson. I can't expect either of them to take them to the playoffs with, with your starting quarterback out for 11 weeks, like you said, regardless of the division. So next year, not this year, Deshaun Watson is going to have to be a top five quarterback in the NFL and make the Browns a legitimate Super Bowl contender every year he's here for Cleveland to, you know, kind of even feel remotely okay about this move. So I agree with you, Ed. It's, it's a little bit funky. I don't know how to feel about it as a Browns fan. Uh, like you said, the situation with Baker Mayfield, everybody that's listened to this podcast knows I was a huge, huge supporter of Baker Mayfield. Loved him to death. You know, we gave everything he had to the Cleveland Browns. And then to have this situation with Deshaun now poured over onto us from the Texans is, it's quite a switch up. You know what I mean? It's quite a switch up as a Browns fan. So I, I don't know how to feel. Deshaun Watson's out 11 games and Jacoby Brissett we trust. I mean, what... What about this? What about this? Let's say let's say we go back to the draft, right? Let's say we take let's say we take, you know, Kenny Pickett maybe they don't like, but what if we went with Malik Willis, right? Like what if what if that was what they did, right? And you catch lightning in a bottle with Malik Willis. I mean, what wh- where do you where do you go from there? You know what I'm saying? Like where I mean, do you feel do you just feel better as a Browns fan? I mean, can you just put your heart behind Malik Willis? And let's say like Malik Willis sits behind Baker Mayfield and learns from Baker Mayfield and one of those guys becomes the hero of Cleveland. I mean, you, you look at the roster. I mean, it's it's got to be one of the top 10 rosters in the NFL, right? So, I mean, you catch lightning in a bottle with Malik Willis and that can happen with the Titans. The Titans, I feel like the, the Titans made that move because they don't quite know what they have in Ryan Tannehill. No, I mean, if I, I am definitely a big fan of Malik Willis and I'm just hoping that this man can make it work in the league. And we, like we saw in that week one preseason, he, he has the athletic traits. But uh, Malik Willis, if if he were that guy, if like this is a big if scenario, if he did prove to be that guy, he's one of the most likable people in the entire draft. Like not one of the most likable quarterbacks. He was one of the most likable people. So if that you know were to happen, I would have been kind of weirded out about you know, drafting a quarterback for the future if you still had Baker Mayfield. This is a hypothetical ad. We had never even made a move for Deshaun and kept Baker. I would have been you know, scratching my head a little bit, but I would have loved that. And I think with the type of offenses that are, you know, becoming in the NFL where speed kills, 
uh, adding a guy like Malik Willis, if he'd panned out to be what you want him to be, that'd be insane. And I would be all for it and 110% behind it. So, so I, I, I'm going to take you to a different scenario, right? I want you to imagine yourself as a grandpa, right? You got your grandpa <laughs> there, right? And you, you, you know, your, your grandkids end up being great kids, just like you. And you know, they're 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 Cleveland Browns fans, right? And you got to tell them the story. You got to teach them the life lesson of when the Cleveland Browns made a deal with the devil and took Deshaun Watson. I mean, how how does that really feel for you? Like like just deep down, like how does that like that scenario sit for you? It it's in it's it's literally what it's like to be a Browns fan. It's you get it, like I don't know how to put it. It's being it's it's just the most perfect prime example of what the entirety of your life is as a Browns fan. Because, you know, I'm not saying that the Browns have always been in a position to be a playoff team. You know what I mean? But Browns fans are optimistic as heck, man. I don't know what it is about us, but a lot of us are just super optimistic, at least the ones I've been around. And whenever you feel like something's going good, whenever you feel like you may have found a player that's that's turning into something or that you think could be, you know, a pro bowler for you, for I mean, you think you maybe got the next Joe Thomas at another position, and then they go to another team. Or you completely whiff on a draft pick when you feel really good about it. It just happens with every single aspect of being a Browns fan. Like, we thought that Baker Mayfield was going to be the saving grace. He's gone. We thought that Deshaun Watson's situation was cleared and, you know, he was fine. And then everything comes back. And then now we're just in a, a complete blunder. You know, there's, it's just, it's sickening because it, it the Browns couldn't look at the, at and see the history that they have defeated, you know, of being losers that they had with Baker Mayfield and couldn't settle with building it from, you know, the middle floor, you know, because the Browns were always building from the floor up. They finally made it to the second level and they didn't want to build from there. They wanted to make a jump to the top level and stay there. And you just, they, I feel like they kind of ran away from the grind in a sense. And I know that it's a, a league where you have to trade to win. It's very hard to build a team where you're going to win a Super Bowl, but it just, you felt like you kind of had something with the Browns going in Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I, I just, you, you know, what, what about Desmond Ritter, right? Like, can, can, can you see that? I mean, are you just, are you just, do you feel like something could happen with Desmond Ritter? I mean, with the draft you guys, with the ability of talent you guys can bring in, do you think you could do it with Desmond Ritter? Do you think the, that the Browns could win with a guy like Desmond yeah, Ritter? Yeah, I let's say, let, let's say let's say you're sitting there and it's pretty much the same thing except you got Baker Mayfield and Desmond Ritter as your two quarterbacks. You got Desmond Ritter learning from Baker Mayfield right now. Like, do you feel do you feel better about being a Browns fan? Um, it just all depends on if if Baker Mayfield, you know, was the Baker Mayfield I expected and balled out. Absolutely, you know, I I feel completely content about that and I I don't even feel like Desmond Ritter would have been a threat to be a starter if because I don't feel like we would take that uh, take a guy of Ritter's level you know being one of the bigger names in the QB class to compete with Baker I feel like if we kept Baker he's our guy and then you know you have legitimate depth at quarterback and if in the future you know you want to ride out Ritter on the bench for four years and then when Baker's gone you then start him you know so be it but it's definitely would have been a more comforting situation uh, knowing that we have, you know, 
like more respectable guys under center at that point. You know, it's, it's kind of just, I feel a little icky being a Browns fan sometimes <laughs> as of late, I guess. Yeah. And I hear, and I hear that. And you know, when you're Browns nation, you have no, you know, you have no control over, you know, the, the horrible lacks of, you know, Deshaun Watson and his insincerity. And, uh, you know, you just have no control over that. And I mean, that's, that's just how I'm going to leave this topic. No, absolutely, absolutely. But you know what, Ed? Talking about having things in control, you know what the Pittsburgh Steelers have in control? Drafting the wide receiver position, for crying out loud. My entire life, you guys, have been able to hit hit it, and then hit it again, and then hit it out of the park one more time. And guess what? You guys did it. You did it again. You did it with George Pickens. I mean, you drafted three legitimate receivers this year, and, and it's just... It's absurd to me. I, I don't understand it, Ed. What is so special about the black and gold in the Pittsburgh Steelers wide receivers? It doesn't make sense to me. Well, you know you know who's always been able to, and this is the good news for the Browns fans in the AFC North, is that it was Kevin Colbert. That was, a, that was Kevin Colbert's best position, was his drafting wide receivers. And that was his last gift to Omar Khan, right? Now, now that Omar Khan is the new guy in town, um, you know, we, I mean, the, Kevin Colbert, this was his last draft. So really now, now it's Omar Khan's team. And, uh, you know, we don't, we don't know if he's going to, cause I mean, we've gone through wide receiver coaches and we've been able to develop guys, right? Like it's not coaching. It's, it's just eye for talent. And I think it's, I think the man who deserves the credit for it is Kevin Colbert. And we hope we can only hope that the staff that he's had is what's been doing it right. Like. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. we, we, like as a Steeler fan, as a Steeler fan. But you know, Colbert's walked away from the game. So, I mean, where you know, you know, has he taught Omar Khan? Maybe, maybe. I mean, Omar Khan's more of a, mo- a money guy. You know, more of a business guy, more of a numbers guy. Um, you know, which you need all types, right, uh, to run an organization. But uh, so it, it, it's a complex situation. No, absolutely, Ed, but I have a question about George Pickens for you. With with the talent you guys already have at the receiving core and Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, what kind of role do you see or do you want to see George Pickens fulfill for the Steelers' offense this season? I, I think I think week one, he's your... He's your uh, he, I, I want him on the field. He's my number two receiver. He's already my number two receiver. And then I think you bring in Claypool in the slot. Uh, you move him around because that's the Steelers. That's the Steelers' way, right? Like you move mm-hmm. him around. But I think he's your starting Z receiver, right? Like he's your mm-hmm. in, in two receiver sets. He's on the field with uh, with Claypool, and maybe in certain running downs you bring in Claypool in those two receiver sets. You know, maybe that goal line formation, mm-hmm. obvious running situations, because uh, Claypool might be a better blocker. But to be honest with you, you your number two passing wide receiver is George Pickens, and he's he's on the Z side. And then you got Deontay Johnson, who's on the X, and then you got Claypool in the slot. That's that's how it's going to be. And Claypool is going to be such a matchup nightmare in the cl- in the slot. So I love wh- I love where we are with starters. And here's something different. Now that Colbert's gone, I want to point this out: is you got Deontay who was signed long term, you got you know George Pickens who's on a ro- on the first year of a rookie deal. He's going to be there three or four more years. Th- you know three more years after this year. Um, on his rookie deal. You got Claypool, who's going to be around for another few years. This could really be the combination going forward, right? And then you got Calvin Austin, who's hurt mm-hmm. right now, but, I mean, he's going to be on the roster. Miles um, Boykin, I mean, he's 
nice special teams player, can help in a lot of different areas, can help you in the receiving game. And then total training camp surprise. This guy, Gunnar Olszewski. Oh, yep. Patriots? I mean, yeah. this, guy, this guy can play receiver. Like, he can – I mean, I, I literally think, like, if Claypool gets hurt, like, you bring this guy in, I think he's the guy who comes in week one. I just – I mean, Calvin Austin will be the number two slot guy going forward, but I just think, he, you know, he might be hurt. He might be getting up to speed, might be learning the playbook. <laughs> like – I, I don't know I don't know how we find these guys and then and then we've got practice squad guys who are showing it Tyler Vaughn's is showing some things um, and then we've got this guy Chris Sims who's showing it as a returner so I mean that we're, we're loaded at the position we're loaded at the position and um, the the question is is that uh, you know can we can we can we block on the offensive tackle position and that's that's really the question is is can we pass block and if we can pass block we will be okay but um, that's my big. That's my big worry for the Pittsburgh Steelers going into 2022. No, absolutely, Ed. It's 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 absurd how much depth you have, and and not to forget to mention, you know, he's not a wide receiver, but Pat Fryermuth, he's a great pass catcher as well. And you know, I I as a Browns fan, it pains me to say this. If he has anything like next year, I'm without a second thought. I put him in my top ten tight ends in the NFL. I mean. What he was able to do in his rookie season, I feel like, really went unnoticed by a lot of people. Um, you know, being a Browns fan, it sure didn't go unnoticed by me, because he, I remember he had a game-winning touchdown against us. Uh, very, very, very good catch in the back of the end zone. But man, like, it's just absurd how good you guys can always be offensively. And it's not like you, like, like you said, you have depth at the practice squad for crying out loud like you don't have just one or two good guys always it's hey, always man, if i'm the steelers gm and you're the browns gm do you take tyler vons right now do you give do you give me a seventh for tyler vons on my <laughs> yeah please <laughs> no i mean i it's just i i will trade your entire recruiting room yeah i mean no the browns have done a great job drafting the last few years but when it comes to receivers it just doesn't compare i mean the browns receiving room is looking a little slim so i i would i would be pretty content uh having having that depth that the steelers have there man but like you said if you can pass protect that is going to be a very very dangerous offense and i you know what mitch trubisky is going to be the starter week one but he has never had this many weapons around him, and I, I'm a, I truly believe that. He has never had this many weapons around him, and if that offensive line can be just slightly better than what it was in Chicago, and I mean, you know, that's not asking much, honestly. Sorry, Chicago fans, but, but you know. But I mean, if we play Cleveland, I mean, and Miles Garrett's having picnics in the backfield, it doesn't matter who you <laughs> have a receiver, right? It doesn't matter if you're, you know, you're lining up the ghost of Antonio Brown. I mean, the, the ghost, <laughs> I shouldn't say the ghost, but I mean, you say, you say you know Antonio Brown from you know 10 years ago or uh you know five or six years ago or uh you know Jerry Rice or you know any of those right. receivers you know um Michael Irvin so it doesn't matter who you who you throw out there right um you got to pass protect and you know you know that's a big fundamental for me so um that's that's the big question for the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line um I'm also a little I mean you know, not to get too depth, uh, you know, on the defensive side. I mean, you know, are, are teams going to just be able to run the ball on the Steelers? I mean, that's a big question for me, too. Well, Ed, you say you're concerned about the offensive line and pass protection. I got five guys right here for you that might be able to help with that job, Ed. This last week, 
I've been breaking down my offensive tackles like I've been doing my weekly positions. And I'll say this, I don't want to I don't want to spoil it for you too too fast, but I would say this is the position I've been least impressed with. Not to say that there's not some absolute beasts of of men at the offensive tackle position this year, but there was, you know, a lot of these other positions I saw legitimate crazy top-end talent where I'm like, this guy seriously displays first-round talent, and I, I don't have a question about it. It's just, will he sneak into the first round because the rest of the draft is so good? But there's maybe two of the these offensive linemen that I'm, you know, I'm for sure right now, as of right now, I can guarantee you they'll, they'll be first-round draft picks and maybe even early ones. The rest of them, I say they're probably second-round guys as of now, and I, I don't know if I saw any true dominating first-round guys, and that's other than the number one and two, and that's why I'm really excited for this next year so I can finally give like a final grade on these tackles because some of them still have a lot to figure out at, when it when it comes down to it at the end of the day. So I'm going to kick it off with Georgia's offensive tackle, Broderick Jones. Six foot four, 310 pounds. Now, Ed, I was really de- contemplating on if I wanted to put this guy on my list or not. He was just a borderline guy that I, I just, I couldn't leave off. Probably the single best prospect, high school prospect football player I've ever scouted. He was a f- consensus five-star recruit, Ed. He was the second or third ranked player in Georgia. We know how much of a football factory Georgia is. And he was the number one ranked offensive tackle by rivals and ESPN while being the second ranked in 247 sports. Ed, he was a top 15 player in the nation a consensus top 15 player in the nation. He was absolutely the best high school recruit that I've watched. Now, the only issue and why he's at number five for me is because he's got the least amount of film, but I can just see it. You know you know when you can just, there's not enough to do a concrete evaluation on a guy, but you see these traits and you're like, this guy has what it takes. He just needs to take the step. So when I was watching... And, and, and you know, I'm just, I'm just thinking as a Steeler fan, it's like, okay, great, this guy goes out and only has one year of wear and tear on his body, goes out and kills it. You know what I'm saying? Let's mm-hmm. trade up for this guy, right? Right. So with, with you know, he only had two games played in 2020, but in 2015, or excuse me, in 2021, he played 15 games. So if he has a great 2022, you're getting a guy that's really only played two seasons of college football. That's an absolute beast. He is unbelievably good in the run game. Now, I know you want to work a little bit more in pass protection, but he can pull with ease and clear a lane like no other man. It's, it's just, he's a phenomenal athlete. There's no questions about why this guy was a consensus five-star recruit. You see the physical dominance the second you turn on the film. He has great pad level in the run game. I, I'm going to reinforce how awesome of a run blocker he was. He understands angles in the run game. You know, a lot of these players think that you can just go chest-to-chest, toe-to-toe with a guy and hold him in his tracks, and that's effective enough to win in a run game rep. It's not. You have to understand how to attack him from an angle and push those gaps open, and he understands that. Now, my biggest concern about him is the rest of his mental game, the rest of his uh, mechanical game. His In pass protection, his pad level and back get way too high. That's why I really like him at run blocking right now because he has that low, powerful back. When he gets in pass protection, I feel like he kind of loses his faith and, you know, because he can't, you can't go as crazy in pass protection. You know, you can't bully people as hard as you do in run blocking at times. So I feel like he's kind of second guessing himself, isn't too comfortable that qu- there quite yet, and just gets a little bit high. 
he plays young, he plays impatient, and he has undisciplined hand placement and when he's trying to reset. So if he misses that strike on the first one, he has a really hard time understanding how to get back and win that rep, even if you lose off the rip. So just, you know, it's kind of like a guy that, like a rookie, you know, he's making those mental errors, but you see why he was drafted so high. You know what I mean? And he's just got a little bit of inactive feet when it comes to pass blocking. So as a run blocker, I think that he's on his way to becoming one of the best run blockers in college football. Pass blocking is where he needs to take those mechanical steps, Ed. But I just, I couldn't leave this guy off the list because as a five-star recruit, you playing at Georgia, winning that starting role on Georgia, you know you're a dog. And from the one year of film I was able to watch, I, I can't I can't leave him on this list. If he has a great year, there's no question about me putting in my top three, maybe even two at the end of next year. All right, all right. Next one. All righty. Next, we're going to jump into Zion Nelson. And I got to say, for two through three, or excuse me, two through four, I, I wouldn't be mad if you put this in any which direction. I think there's a clear con- consensus, number one, but two, and two, three, and four. You could throw them in any order, and I would understand why you would do so. So Zion Nelson from Miami, Florida. He's a senior, six foot five, 316 pounds. And he was a two-star recruit by rivals while being a three-star for 247 and ESPN. This guy has got so much film to watch. Like, I... I it's kind of sad when I get such a big offensive line recruit and they have just so few games played and it's just, I don't have as much to choose from. I don't get to watch how they've grown as a player. This guy's games dating back, he's been a starter since 2019, Ed. He's, so he played 2000, or excuse me, in 2019 started 13 games, 2020 started seven while playing in 10, and in 2021 started 12, which was the entire season. He is fantastic at knocking fenders off base in the run game. This is another guy that I probably think excels a lot more in the run game than in the pass game. And it was strange. At six foot five, I felt like he was a little compact. I, I don't know how that's possible, but like watching a guy like Broderick Jones, you just saw the insane stature of this guy. And I feel like Zion Nelson, being six foot five, just is a little bit small for some reason. So he's really good at Uh, knocking guys off base if you can hit them in the side or whatever like that, but he's not going to physically dominate a guy that's, you know, that's the same size as him. So he has a great kick step when he's uh, in pass protection. It just, you know, he's able to ride out those speed defenders a lot better than he is able to, to, you know, stop those like physical, powerful, uh, just kind of bull rush guys. And he's like, and I don't think he's big enough to, like, I, I just... It's, it's so weird to me. He's six foot five, 315 pounds, and I keep reinforcing the fact that he's small because uh, when I was watching the game against Michigan, I guess, uh, I, I liked him a lot better versus a guy like David Ajabo than I did a guy like Aiden Hutchinson. Now, we all know Aiden Hutchinson was the top recruit of the class, but uh, it just I feel like he dealt with carrying that speed a lot better than he did with a guy that's going to try to push him backwards. He's still really raw in his pass blocking technique. The only thing that really impressed me was his kick step in the pass block. Other than that, kind of a similar prospect to Broderick Jones. And that brings me into prospect number three, Ed. That's Anton Harrison, offensive tackle from Oklahoma. Now being six foot five, 315 pounds, there was no small feeling about Anton Harrison. Consensus four-star recruit across the board, top 20 player in Michigan. 
I loved what I saw from him. 13 games played last year while starting 12, and in 2020 started all 9 games. He is probably the best lateral mover out of these offensive tackles. He has such a great lower body. He has a very strong, powerful base. He has really long arms to not let defenders get up into his chest and kind of just do what they want to do with him. I know a lot of offensive tackles sometimes like to get guys close to them so they can control him, but he has these big, long, powerful arms where he's not going to let a defender get into his chest and knock him off base. He works great in space on run blocks, which is what a lot of tackles really struggle with. They struggle with, you know, kind of that speed and being able to get reset and dominate a guy in space, you know, because a lot of times you're left on an island, but you know where that guy's going to be. You don't have to move all the way from left to right because, you know, you have four other guys to one side or the other. So to be able to win on an island in run blocking is awesome for a tackle. And he has those, he has really flexible legs and hips that allow him to move in small space as well. So he operates great in space, but when he's in the line, he has really flexible legs and is able to maneuver in very tight spaces, even though he's a six, five, six foot five beast of a man. And, you know, he's not like, you know how there's guys that just want to get pancakes consistently. Uh, he's not a guy that's going to do that but he has a natural ability to just sit and stay in front of defenders. He's not going to you know, push them downfield and completely bully them, but those quick feet are really good at just staying in front of the guy and kind of being a roadblock in a sense. Not, not a bulldozer, but a roadblock. Now, his feet do stay still in pass protection at times. If, if he gets too high, instead of um, if his pad level gets too high, instead of kind of resetting base, his feet just get still and he, gets still and he turns into a statue and he's going to lose the rep. He does not play with enough leverage consistently. And that's, you know how much I care about my pad level, Ed. If you don't have consistent pad level, I'm going to rip you for it. And Mm -hmm. this is why he loses his reps is consistent, is inconsistent technique and inconsistent pad level. Players are going to attack that. They're going to watch the film on you and be like, oh, this guy likes to sit with his pads high. We're going to bull rush the heck out of him. So... I, that's just, you gotta fix the pad level, man. I know it's frustrating, but you gotta get this guy on the shoots. But, alrighty. So you know how I said you can you can kind of split up two, three, and four. This is our last guy at number two, Jalen Duncan, offensive tackle from Maryland. This guy was the f- most physically imposing uh, offensive tackle that I watched. At 6'6", 320 pounds. You saw how scary this human being was. You couldn't pay me enough money to go block or to try to pass rush against him. Consensus, excuse me, consensus four-star recruit and a consensus top ten player in Maryland, who has a lot of exp- a lot of experience. Started eleven games out of thirteen last season. Started all five in 2020, and then started eleven out of twelve in 2019. Now, Jalen Duncan does a really nice job resetting his base after moving, so if he kind of has to do that, uh, like, pull up to the next level, he does a really good job instead of just trying to run through the guy and completely extend and whiff on the block, he'll reset and actually try to get engaged with the guy so he doesn't have an opportunity to pop off of him and go make a tackle downfield. If he's going to get his hands on you, he's going to make sure you're not getting away. Another one of those guys that isn't really throwing you down into the dirt, but is just keeping you in those meaty paws. He's an absolute beast of a man. Like I said, he's just he's a great build for a tackle. And I know some people might be a little bit concerned with his speed, but I thought just because he has such a wide base, 
he's able, it, it's, it doesn't affect him. Like you watch him and he moves very lethargically. He's just, it, it's, it's hard for guys that big to move efficiently. But I think because he has such long, powerful legs, it's not going to affect him. Now there was a play or two where I saw him, um, really struggle to reach where he was supposed to get on like a pole or something because of that speed. But if he's in the right system, that's not asking him to, you know, pull across the whole offensive line. I don't think that's going to be an issue for him. He athletically overwhelms a lot of competition when he gets that opportunity to just kind of sit there and get his hands on you. Now, he does miss his strikes at times, and he, he almost looks a little bit scared to play. Like, at six foot six, you should, you know, you kind of know you're one of the most physically imposing men on that football field. You can't, you can't let up, and sometimes I feel like you just you, you have to play with aggression and violence at the tackle position at times, and I, I know that's not what the entire position's about, but sometimes you just got to make these guys regret stepping onto the field with you, and I feel like he didn't do that. There wasn't a time that I saw him really make a guy wish that he didn't want to make a guy wish that he didn't step on the field that day. So, being six foot six, show me a little bit more of that dog in you, man. You have everything that it takes to scare the heck out of your opponents, so he's got to use it. And then he struggles to locate his responsibilities at time. Not that he isn't trying to, but sometimes I feel like he's just a chicken with his head cut off if he doesn't have that, um, you know, if, if it's like a, a pass set, a pass rush set to the side and he doesn't have any responsibilities. He kind of just, you know, sits there and waits for something to come to him. And I'm like, you know, dude, you, you, if you don't know what you're supposed to do, just go do something for me. Mm-hmm. Do something. Put something on film. Let them know that you're thinking while the play's going. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So don't be lazy. That's kind of my thing with him is it, he's not necessarily trying to be. It's just understanding that if you don't know what to do, you still have to do something. And, and you know, and it's kind of just that way in life, you know? Just, just make something happen. But Ed... The number one can tackle for me. I mean, I the second I turned this film on, there was not a doubt in my mind that I was going to have him at number one. And I think this was maybe the second or third guy I watched. I was like, oh yeah, I will be impressed if somebody is uh, is better than this guy. The only guy that I might put above him is Paris Johnson. And that was the guard that might be transitioning to tackle this year. But for true tackles, Peter Skronowski, a beautiful name, baby, from Northwestern. He's a junior. Oh yeah. Yes, like sir. You already know. At six foot four, three hundred and fifteen pounds, this guy was an absolute beast in high school. Consensus four star recruit and consensus top four player in the state of Illinois. He was actually a four star, but Ed, he was elevated to a five star uh, right before he came into college. So, a fun fact: he is the highest recruit as an offensive lineman in Northwestern history. So. They were super, super excited about this guy. And do you know whose role he had to fill in? Do you know whose shoes he had to fill in? Rashawn uh, Slater. Slater, yeah. Yeah. Those are not easy fills to or <laughs> easy fills to shoe, excuse me. Those are not easy, easy shoes, to, shoes to, fill. to fill. Yeah. Rashawn Slater was one of the best offensive linemen in Northwestern history and has proven himself already in the NFL. This guy stepped up to the challenge with no issues. Northwestern did not see a drop in play at that position. He is so unbelievably explosive explosive off the snap, Ed. He is never, ever late off the snap. I Every time I watch the ball, I'm, I'm looking at the offensive line to see who's the first player off. I mean, I swear to God, he's off before the center sometimes. I don't know how it makes sense, you know what I mean? 
and it, it's just unbelievable. He he has a super aggressive engage every time he makes first contact, and he he's he's literally the first even he's the first person off the ball, and he's the first person to make contact if if he needs to. He's not waiting for you know a guy to try to run around him. If he's get, can get his hands on you, he's gonna make you regret you know stepping on the field, and that's what I love about Peter Skrnowski aside from his name. He always works to the second level when you can. You know, like I was saying with Jalen Duncan, if you don't know what you can do, go do something. And Peter Skrnowski always does that. If he gets it done with his first assignment or if they they run pull their guy off, he's running to the second level when he can to make a block downfield. And, it, you know, obviously without being the illegal man downfield, he's a smart football player too. He understands when it's time to make that break downfield and go make a block on the second level. He has a great lower body that can smoothly and quickly carry edge rushers around the quarterback. I mean, it was just so effortlessly with his kick step. He was, you know, and he, it wasn't too deep to where guys were able to, you know, cut underneath. It wasn't too shallow to where they were running into the quarterback. It was beautiful. He has great body control, and he's not losing leverage or getting sloppy. And there was a play or two where I saw him lose leverage, but he still had great form. It wasn't where his back was getting high. Um, his shoulder pads got a little bit too high, but he was able to still keep that wide, consistent base and then reset, disengage and reset super quick. So to see a guy that can win a rep, even if you're losing in the you know pad level, that's a very hard thing to do, man. If your pad level's not good, you're going to lose 10 times out of 10. He is somehow an exception. I don't understand it, but Peter Skrnowski just understands how to win after he's lost. He doesn't ever dominate... Um, like, like, I, let me rephrase that. He doesn't ever, you know, put guys into the dirt and like, um, you know, just like pancake them after that. He's more of a roadblock in a sense, again, with, you know, finding that responsibility, staying in front of them and staying engaged, but he's just really violent about it. You know, like he's going to hold you there and move you 15 yards with him. He's not going to throw you on the ground though. He's just, he's going to have a full blown conversation with you there. And I do think that he might need to add a little bit more strength. That might be why he's kind of just holding guys there. He doesn't have the full capability to just like run them over and tip them over and push them into the ground and then go dominate another person. He's really good at just kind of keeping them on that base. But, you know, he's he's already, you know, winning preseason awards. He was all Big Ten first team by coaches last year, Big Ten second team by the media. This guy has everything you want in a tackle. And I think... Uh, there's a few people out there that are saying they want him to kick it inside to guard because of that strength, but you can't deny what this guy does technically. You know, he, he just is so good with how he sets up his hands and how he resets that I'm not concerned about this guy's strength right now. There's strength trainers in college. There's strength trainers in the NFL. Give this guy his shot at tackle. That's what he was born to play. I don't care about that right now. Yes, it's something I have to mark on him because I'm a scout, but that's something I think that this kid's going to figure out. Peter Skrnowski is the man, Ed. Well, I definitely like him, and you have to think he's probably pretty good in the classroom if he's going to a school like that. No, absolutely. Northwestern is it's it's academically one of the better schools in the nation, and you love to see a guy like that. And, you know, Ed, I, I can tell he's a smart kid, you know, like – his ability to reset and understand what he has to do to win a rep after he's lost and understand what his next assignment is, that's that's film room. That's listening to coaches. That's completely understanding what your role as an offensive tackle is. And 
Uh, I am super excited to see what he does next year, man. And that's one of the four groups that I, that have to be. You know, you have to really have your – I mean, I, I'd say, you know, quarterbacks, uh, offensive linemen, uh, safeties, and linebackers really mm-hmm. have to have their, you know, have their have their head on straight, you know what I mean, to play football. I mean, you know, there's this kind of stereotype about dumb jocks, but it ain't true. No, I completely agree with you. And I feel like I feel like a lot of people that aren't – super invested into football i feel like they kind of think that these like these offensive linemen are just big meanie brawly men that are just out there throwing guys around no they are so unbelievably smart and i'm glad you mentioned that because like i i truly agree with you i think those four positions are the smartest four on the football field but the offensive linemen are just there's something about their responsibilities that is underappreciated and people don't understand that it's not just about being this big strong man you have to truly understand the game of football and peter skronowski is a guy that understands i mean with a name like peter skronowski ed come on now you have to be a great football player then no i i i completely agree um <laughs> and yeah i mean you know just back to your point about football i mean and just intelligence it's just like i mean i've played chess and i've played you know i've <laughs> I understand football, and I can tell you, football is much more complicated than chess. I mean, yes, I think if you get to the real high levels of chess, but I mean, you know, it's like they're similar, but like chess is chess is once you get the moves down, it's pretty simple. You know what I'm saying? Whereas like, you know, I mean, an offensive coordinator versus a defensive coordinator. I mean, the strategy is similar, but it is a game of chess. Mm-hmm. No, it it absolutely is, and honestly, I think I think I appreciate that fact more than the like the physical aspect of like under of knowing that these guys are literally just physical freaks of nature that are playing a big chess game with human beings on a big grass field i mean it's it's a crazy thing to think about man this is why we love football and you know it's just it it's it's amazing and i'm glad that we were able to have this uh this little tangent about how how smart football players are because like you said i feel like there's a stereotype of you know kind of being a dumb jock and it's just it's so unbelievably wrong i mean if you took if you guys get an opportunity to talk to a football player and stuff they're so freaking smart man these guys didn't get there for no reason they didn't get there just because of their physical attributes you know they are smart human beings but ed i think my friend that's gonna wrap up this this show that we had uh, it was a great one, man. I had a fantastic time breaking down these offensive tackle prospects. Um, hopefully, your Steelers won't be able to pick any of them up if they end up showing out this year. But it was a pleasure, my friend. And uh, thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Blitzcast.